0: Hi there, and great to have you along with me, Cleanna Nianlun, for another Spoken Stories podcast series. This collection of stories is called Creatures of the Earth, after the title of a story and a collection of stories by John McGarhern. Each week features a new story by a writer who is invited to contribute a story that started out by considering what creatures of the earth might conjure up for them and where it might take them in a new story of their own previously spoken stories independence, had writers think about what independence could mean, how it could present itself in a new story today, a hundred years after Ireland's War of Independence. John McGarron often referred to the fact that his own parents had experienced, at first hand, its turbulence, its repercussions, and how McGarhan was from the first generation to have been born into independent Ireland. And so, in its way, Spoken Stories Creatures of the Earth is a natural expansion on its predecessor, Spoken Stories Independence. Together, these stories are a creative contribution to Ireland's decade of centenaries. The stories illustrate how variously ideas can be interpreted. Here now is Donal Ryan about his story called Bride, the first in the new series of Spoken Stories Creatures of the Earth.
1: My story is about a man who has been cast out from his own life. He exiles himself on the edge of a small village and is befriended by a young woman who is herself an outcast. He quickly finds himself spellbound as she guides him along the hidden pathways that exist all around us in nature.
0: Donal Ryan And here now is Bride, read by Daryl McCormack.
1: The first time I met her she offered to read my palm. Standing at the door of my rented cottage in this boggy townland in the crook of three counties, she took my left hand in both of hers, lifting it towards her face and tilting her head down so that I could see the white of her scalp through her thin black hair. It was a wet day, but the sun had breached the clouds momentarily and we stood in a patch of noonday warmth, While she whispered to me that I'd have a long life. That the child I was missing would come back to me some day, but not soon. That she could see that my heart was broken, but that it would be fixed. That there was a woman in my future. A younger woman, and more children. How many more children, I asked. And she looked up at me. Something flashing in her eyes that I took for anger. I found out later that her eyes flashed that way all the time, even on the dullest of days. Like a storm raged always behind them, strobes and pulses of electric light. I don't know how many, she said. There's something here at the edge of your palm that's stopping me from reading it properly. and She traced, with her forefinger, the line of the scar that runs along the side of my hand and up across my wrist to my forearm. I'll wait here, so, she said, while you get the money to pay me for what I'm after giving you. I wasn't sure what to do, whether to invite her in or how much to pay her, and for some reason I was shy about asking her. Ten euros, she said, as though I'd spoken my thoughts, and I wasn't sure then if I had or not. I'll take five two-euro coins, she added. You have a fine stack of them there beside the clock. She nodded into the gloom of my cottage and I looked behind me, realising then that I'd been warned about this person by the lady in the village shop. Bride her name is. Watch out for her. She'll come knocking and she'll tell you your business and she'll take the eye out of your head if you give her any hop. She reads palms, Maria, and steals whatever isn't nailed down and she has a wicked eye on her that she uses to bamboozle people. She has some bee in her bonnet about that cottage you're renting too Some cock and bull story about it being hers by right About her people having been put out of it illegally by bailiffs a hundred years ago or something Oh, She withers all of us, but she pays special attention to whomever finds themselves living in the lay cottage And it's a fright to God, so it is, that we can't rid ourselves of her By the time the shopkeeper's words had come back to me, the fortune-teller had crossed my threshold and had seated herself at the oak table that stood on the clean-worn flags of my rented kitchen, and her hands were out before her palms down on the warm wood, and her eyes were closed tight. I've heard about you, I said. I was standing with my back to the empty hearth, her coins in my hand, Her eyes opened again, and they flared so brilliantly in the shaft of watery sunlight that beamed across the room from the small window that my heart hopped in my chest, and I felt burning in my stomach, like the burning you feel when something terrible happens, or something wondrous. For no sensible reason, I felt in that moment a soft echo of the moment my son was born. As though the world had tipped off its axis and begun to wobble so that everything upon it was shaken out of place and had settled back a little to the left or right of where it had been and nothing was secure any longer in its foundations and everywhere there was danger and yet everything was suffused in joy the same feeling I had but with despair now where there had been joy the day my wife had left and taken him with her and he had known where he was going or what was happening and I'd broken as she drove away and screamed after her to come back running through the estate in my bare feet my neighbors standing at their windows and doors and in their patches of garden curious and embarrassed and upset at the sudden drama in our quiet cul-de-sac and Martin from next door who I only barely knew to say hello to and exchange banalities on the weather, was suddenly standing in front of me with his two-block-layer's hands, held palms out, and then his hands were on me, and he was holding me up, holding me up from falling down, and I was crying in his arms, like a child. So all that happened in my body and mind in the few moments between the end of her fortune-telling and the opening of her eyes. "'I've heard about you.' "'Why did I say that?' It sounded accusatory, condescending, as though I was part of some cabal of knowingness, of smug, middle-class wisdom. It sounded in my ears, the echo of it, like an egregious insult.' like I'd condemned her out of hand, joined with some force that was ranked against her, aligned myself with some societal notion of properness and decency that looked down on women that read fortunes door to door. When in truth, I'd never before met such a person, and I'd meant my words to be jocular, pleasant, conversational. Have you now, she said, and I could see that she was younger than I'd at first thought. Her black dress and cardigan had aged her, and the way she'd been stooping when first I'd answered the door to her, and the thinness of her hair at the top of her scalp as she bent further to her analysis of my palm. You have, I'd say. And she left the words there, part statement, part accusation. There was an air about her now of pained resignation of some possibility having been closed off, of something having been ruined that hadn't even had a chance to begin. You might have heard about me, but I know about you. And I remembered then the words she'd spoken only a few minutes before, about my son being gone from me and my broken heart. And I wondered why I hadn't been more surprised to hear those words spoken by a stranger at the door of the cottage I was renting, a hundred miles from the house I'd just sold, the home I'd made for my family, because I supposed she could have heard about me in the village as easily as I'd heard about her. Villages conduct news the way copper conducts current, And God only knows what I'd revealed about myself under the skilful scrutiny of the auctioneer and the shopkeeper, or the parish priest, who'd come calling all bonhomie and blessings. Sit down here beside me, she said, and I'll see can I read the rest of your fortune. You can make me a cup of tea then and I'll go on away home. I only live a short walk from here, or you can drive me if it starts again to rain. Maybe you have a biscuit, or a slice of something nice to go with the tea?' I had, as it happened, a fruit-cake my mother had given me, wrapped in grease-proof paper, and an apple-tart she'd made the morning of the day I'd called to my home-house on the way to this house, in the vale of these strange hills, in this part of the country I'd never seen before or ever thought of visiting, to see if I could come back to some kind of terms with myself with my life, with the idea of going on living. I'm so worried about you, my mother had said as I was leaving. Would you not stay here with me and your father? Would you not wait at least until your father comes in? But I couldn't, because he could see straight through to the ragged soul of me, to the chambers of my guilty heart, and still he loved me, And I couldn't face the strength and purity of that love. It pained me too much to see in his eyes the perfectness of it. And the discomfort he'd be in. Oppressed by his need to save me somehow. To take upon himself the mantle of my suffering. Even though I'd brought it all on myself. Had authored my sorry story word for word and that story was being read back to me now by this dark-haired stranger from the lines of my palm, or so she said, from the folds along my sorry flesh. There I was then, that sunny rainy early April day, bewitched. I drove her home, up from the lake and into the hills, and she asked me into her mobile home in a small level field at the edge of a square of forestry on the side of a hill, with a valley spread below it, and the spire of the church of a market town at the valley's far end below the misty horizon, and a set of distant opposing hills, and I followed her in like a summoned pup. Everything inside was neat and tucked, arranged in straight lines, bottles and cans and jars along a low shelf that ran around the centre line of the interior, stopping only at the windows and the door. There was a three-sided seating area, frilled doilies, arranged symmetrically on the headrests, gleaming white, and a camp table in the centre of it, on which stood a Virgin Mary, blue-robed and white-faced, a single bloody tear on her cheek, her hands out votively, offering all the kindness of the heavens. Come in, she said, to my bedroom, and I'll show you something you'll have never seen before. Come on, she said, and took my hand in hers again. And it seemed now that her hand and my hand had an understanding between them, an accord newly struck, but as natural as breathing, that they would twine themselves together and share with each other their warmth. In the bedroom was a bed nearly the width of the mobile home, and above it was a small shelf on which stood a carved bird, a hawk it looked like, its wings folded tight into its body, and its eyes, though carved from wood, seeming to hold all knowledge. "'seeming to know in its blankness "'all the doings of man and of the world. "'Isn't that a sight of a thing?' she said, "'and I agreed that, yes, it was. "'I knew she drugged me, but I didn't mind. "'She was sitting now on the foot of her neatly made bed "'and the patchwork of her quilt moved fluidly around her sides. "'She was barefoot, and she had one foot on top of the other.' "'and her toenails were covered in chipped red paint. "'I was happy just to stand and look at her "'and listen to her voice, "'and her skin now seemed less lined than before, "'her voice less harsh. "'Her hair was dry now and seemed fuller, "'and to have a blue-black gleam to it, "'and when she stood she seemed taller than she had. I knew why. She was standing with her back straightened and her chin raised now. Here in her own home, in her own bedroom, where she felt no need nor had no gain to make by pretending to be a witch or a hag, or a poor old woman of the road, a beggar, or a penny sorceress, or an amateur diagnostician of maladies of the heart or soul or body. Here she was, the woman of her house, and I was not so much a guest of that house as a newfound pet, a creature trapped and tamed. And I was happy to be such a thing, content to dwell for a while at least within her power, under her spell. And when, again, she took my hand and led me out to the wet grass of her little compound, and I felt the clear, clean air begin to lift from me my gentle fugue, I felt no desire to remonstrate with her for drugging me, for trapping me, but walked along beside her pliantly. I'm living here now the bones of twenty years, she said, and there was a new melody to her voice, a wavery sing-song tone, I wanted to buy that cottage you're living in, but I was barred from doing so by some good people of this parish. So I bought this little plot instead, and my mother and father, Lord have mercy on their dear souls, bought me my wagon and kitted it out for me. And I'm as happy here as any creature ever was. I'm happier again now that I've met you, because you were read into my future one time by a woman on the side of the road in Kilkenny City, and I've been waiting for you ever since. Maybe you're the reason I wasn't left by that cottage the time I had the bit of money to buy it. There's no one can force their stars. I, of all people, should have known that. Anyway, look, I have to show you this. And she pointed a thin finger out from herself to the hem of the forest where the planted trees darkened together, and I saw movement there. And looking harder saw pairs of eyes, several of them, reflecting glints of light from the westering sun. They're the people of the forest, David. They lived on this green earth long before you or me or any creature like us, long before Adam or Eve came along, all trouble and lies, and broke the patience of God himself. The holy book has it all backwards. And look again at the ground in front of you, the tracks all through it, the way the grass is worn from the soil and the soil itself hardened. That's roadways built by badgers that they travel every night, and all day they sleep in the earth below, and look now at the sky, at the birds, at my children. In the sky above us, in a ring elliptical and stretching and contracting, was a dense but porous splatter of birds. It was swelling itself outwards, though I couldn't see against the brightness of the gilded clouds from where the newcomers were flying in to cause such an expansion. It was moving in waves and changing direction and shape, until it lifted itself heavenward suddenly and stopped, and seemed to hang there, a mass of grey-black wings against the white and blue, suspended. When again it began to move, down and outwards over the valley towards the silver lake to our west, to the place where my cottage sat empty, it took suddenly, in the space of a bare heartbeat, the shape of a bird, a giant bird of prey, its long wings stretched, its head and beak pointed for the kill, its tail tucked, and streamed behind it for the dive it would make as soon as it found its target and all the while beside me was my fortune-teller. Her face lifted to the sky where the bird of birds flew, her lips moving in some prayer or incantation, some spell or chant of thanksgiving. After a time I couldn't measure. The murmuration broke itself apart, and its countless members darted like dark stars away from us in all directions and her hand was gone from mine. I found myself alone on the strange hillside, cold and with an ache in my neck and a stinging in my eyes. I looked behind me to the little house to see if she was making her way back there, but the Badger's Road was empty, the long grass of its verges rising and falling in the chill evening breeze. It was weeks before I saw her again, and she pretended no knowledge of our previous meeting. That's a lovely story, sir. And you have, I'll admit, a fierce intimate knowledge altogether of my little house and the creatures that live around me on my hillside. But anyone and everyone walks the path along that place, and every nosy parker in these townlands knows the colour of my quilt. Many a morning I'm awakened to the sight of noses pressed against the window of my house. A house that has no foundations is fair game in people's minds. They act maria, they didn't know there was anyone living in it, though every bastard knows I do. Anyway, she said, hold out your hand there until I read your fortune.' and you can pay me from that little stack of two euro coins inside on your mantelpiece. She calls regularly now, and we go walking together, and she shows me by the streams in the forest and by the hedgerows on the green lanes of this country the paths worn by creatures of the night, creatures that live below the earth and push through its soft crust when the sun is set and the stars are out. She shows me in the gloaming the sparks of light in the eyes of creatures only she and I can see. She stays with me sometimes in my rented cottage and the shopkeeper when we meet bids me good day through lips pursed bloodless and the whole village I'm told is up in arms and all I can do is let myself be restored rescued again and again from the edge of death as she tethers me faster and faster to herself and to this green and giving world.
0: There you heard Daryl McCormack read for us the story Bride by Donal Ryan for Spoken Stories, Creatures of the Earth. Next time on Spoken Stories Emma Dargan-Reed reads Near Adelaide by writer Christine Dwarhickey. hickey And you can enjoy the commissioned fiction on Spoken Stories 1, Independence including those by Anne Enright, Anne Rede, Neil Jordan, Mary Costello, and more as well as this new series of Spoken Stories 2, Creatures of the Earth, as they are broadcast on RTE Radio 1 and all available on rte.ie forward slash culture and wherever you get your podcasts. From me, Cleon and Ian Loon, thank you for listening.